2: Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars. Oh, and two-door
0: cinema club. This is Burke in the Game, an Radio podcast. Hey guys, welcome to Burke in the Game. This is Cheryl Burke. And, you know, I don't have a special guest today because I figured I have so much to talk to you guys. I feel very loyal to my listeners. And I want to make sure that we are all on the same page as far as like certain latest headlines that have come out, but also about my interview and powerful interview, I believe it was, um, with Jada Pinkett Smith, her mother gammy um and the show red table talk i've been a huge fan first of all of red table talk it was actually a part of my vision board um last year going into 2022 so you know vision boards do work guys um and i it was an honor honestly for me to sit amongst these women who have had so much trauma themselves but also have I guess, built a platform for people like us to tell our stories and to tell so in a safe environment. And I think that these type of stories, I know sometimes can be a downer for a lot of people because, you know, we just got out of a pandemic. We've been locked up in our homes. And the last thing we want to talk about is trauma. And however you know, we've all gone through it or we're all going through it, whether that be, you know, trauma from just the pandemic or from childhood. And I think I've been blessed to be given a platform like what I have currently um, because of Dancing with the Stars and because of my ballroom dancing experience in general to be able to talk about the real story, you know, um, me behind the glitter and the mirror ball trophy and i think that you know i want everyone and or just one person just to know that they're not alone in this because it can get very scary and lonely and especially when it comes to any type of fear that's being built up in your body anyway i just want to basically you know there's a lot of stuff that you guys have already heard but for my new listeners or anyone who may just not know in general you know, it was very important for me to be honest, though graphic at times um, during this interview with uh, the ladies at the Red Table Talk. You know, the main reason why I was invited to go on the show in general was to talk about trauma bonding, right? So trauma bonding is basically when two people subconsciously bond based on shared trauma that most likely stems from their childhood. So for example, for me, right, I've dealt with a lot of trauma as a little girl. Um, You know, my first memory, as I mentioned with uh, Peta when she was here last week, we talked about my first memory being my father cheating on my mother. Then from there, you know, I got molested as a little girl from uh, hired help and this Old retired mailman, basically, that my stepfather hired um, to babysit me and my stepsister, who groomed us, you know. And I did mention this as well in the interview, but I think it's important that, you know, I think the first step to any type of healing, because healing is a lifelong process, I don't think that you will, you can just heal overnight. I guess knowing what that is, labels for the most part, aren't great, but sometimes they are because at the end of the day, and this is what I've learned in therapy, that putting a label to something really helps me at least and my brain wrap the idea of, okay, well, you know, my definition of love equaled abuse, equaled manipulation, equaled, um, you know, just not the usual, not the cookie cutter love, right? That everybody yearns for, or some people may have. You know, for me, I just went with what felt familiar, which unfortunately was abuse. And so I believe that having these uncomfortable conversations is just so important. Um, You know, I understand that I've seen a lot of your guys' comments when you're like, oh, what else? You know, here she goes again. Just the list goes on and on and on. You know, it does. And at the end of the day, this is very important for me to um tell my story because i i'm being asked but also it, this is the reason why i believe this is part of my journey and this is part of my growth and i know for a fact that this is helping other people just feel like they're not alone and i keep saying that same sentence and it sounds redundant but it's true um you know trauma bonding is a real thing and i know that i'm still like when I'm not conscious, this is why I'm really scared to date sometimes or at the moment, because I know I'll repeat the same pattern, right? So when something has been set in my brain, for example, right? Like as a little girl, that seeing my father with another woman or seeing, um, you know, being groomed and being in that experience of being groomed by an older retired mailman, it was, it was very brain, I guess I was brainwashed, right? At a, at that age, when you're a little girl, it's easily, that easily happens. And as uncomfortable it is for me to still talk about like exactly what happened, I have to talk about it because there's also a lot of guilt and shame that I feel at, you know, during that time where... <laughs> It was so hard for me to even say anything to my parents when I was being sexually abused because he never hurt me physically. Um, He definitely uh, touched me inappropriately. However, the grooming side of things and grooming means when somebody, right, touches you inappropriately. Sorry. I get when I get uncomfortable about stuff, my uh, voice cracks a little bit. So excuse me. Um. When someone who's not supposed to be touching you or when you're vulnerable at a young age and a man um, or a woman touches you inappropriately, um, you know, in a way they are manipulating you and they're manipulating you to the point where it's like they're not hurting you physically, but they're making you feel loved and cared for. Yet, you know what they're doing is wrong. However, it's not so wrong to where you're being hurt and that you have to like go call the police or go tell your mom or whatever. And it was, you know, I'm not blaming my parents. And a lot of comments have said, you know, where are your parents? Change your parents. That's just not fair for you or anyone to say that. Because first of all, you weren't in my situation. And second of all, my parents did the best that they could at that time. Um, could it have been a better situation? Absolutely. But you tell me one thing person that has been raised perfectly in this world. You know, at the end of the day, um, they did the best that they could and they were able to support me. They were able to support my passions in life, including ballroom dancing. Um, and you know, I definitely though held on to a lot of resentment and thank God for therapy and all the other resources that are out there you know, we've been able, me, my mom and stepdad have been able to work through it, but we're still working through it. It's, you know, there are moments that I still feel sometimes I have a lot of anger towards them. Um, Also, what was really hard for me to watch was my mom's old VHS tapes for my YouTube channel during the pandemic. I really went to the past and I saw this man, this my molester literally having Thanksgiving dinner. It was the weirdest experience of my life. It was Thanksgiving and everyone was gathered around the dining room table. And I'm watching this just like a year ago or a year and a half ago. And, you know, the body language from, you know, my family and then this random old man standing there literally like over me um, following me. I went to go play the piano. He was there and it was just like All I know is that I'm here today and this is what happened. And I'm just here to tell my story. I'm not a professional by any means, but I do have experience when it comes to trauma, um, my own experience. So, really, what I'm trying to say is that this was the start of this trauma bond, right? This grooming, this grooming, meaning this man was just, I remember that feeling when I was a little girl of just being so disgusted with him. And it was this like weird love hate. Uh, relationship with this guy. Anyway, he is now dead. And um, I did, though, before he died, I went, I testified against him um, because basically what had happened was that my stepsister had a friend over and he tried to do the same thing to her and she did the right thing, which was ran home to her parents and told her mom. And her mom then called my parents and then that was it. That was the end of that because, uh, I do remember he was being, he was pushed into our swimming pool at home. And, um, yeah, I don't remember much because when trauma happens, you know, it does tend to fog my brain up a little bit. And even when it comes to like the timeline of stuff, I've noticed I changed the age quite a lot. However, I do remember going into court and testifying against him alone because my mom wasn't allowed to come inside the, the Courtroom with me, which was the weirdest thing ever. Um, anyway, and I remember sitting there in front of him, looking at him because he was sitting right in front of me. And then all of a sudden, I remember all of these people coming out of the woodwork, and these people, meaning like his niece and nephews, basically saying that uh, they were also victim a victim of his uh, abuse as well. Anyway, he was sentenced to, I believe, life in prison, but he was only in there for 20 years. And then he got out of prison and then he went. I guess straight to my dad, my stepdad's dental practice, and basically said to him that I never did this to your kids. And um, I think he died short after all of that happened. Anyway, I can feel in my body at this moment how uncomfortable it is still for me to talk about. Um, I guess I'm just trying to, it's so much harder for me to like put into words everything. And I guess I haven't really felt I've never really cried about it until now, <laughs> actually. And um, I think that's a good sign because I think I've been trying I've been feeling like every time I talk about um, the child abuse that I felt like I was telling someone else's story. Um, OK, I just feel
3: <laughs> I feel so overwhelmed with everything. Um Okay. Hi, it's Bethany Frankel. My time on The Real Housewives of New York is a few years behind me, and now I'm ready to put the real back into The Real Housewives. That's where my new podcast, Rewives, comes in. This isn't your typical rewatch podcast. I'm watching only the most iconic episodes from all cities. I'm sharing never-before-heard stories of what happened behind the scenes. And I'm not just pulling in cast members for post-game analysis. I'm doing something a little more interesting. If you've ever seen an episode of The Real Housewives, you know the drill. But beyond throwing drinks and legs, there are lessons about marriage, divorce, friendship, money, parenting, and fame. If you have the right minds, analyze and dig deeper. So I'm bringing on unexpected thought leaders and celebrities to give their take on the chaos. This season, I sit down with Elizabeth Moss, Kevin Nealon, Susie Orman, Griffin Johnson, and more. You'd think that there isn't much to learn from flipping tables and yanking wigs, but that's where you're wrong. Listen to Rewives with Bethany Frankel on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Live Nation presents Concert Week,
1: If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This episode is
4: brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years, and not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish.
0: heavy stuff i just had to cry it out quickly <laughs> my therapist will be very proud of me that i'm crying and think she pointed out not too long ago that i haven't really cried when telling this story of being sexually abused um but i guess it shows the growth that i'm actually feeling my feelings and you're here to witness it um i didn't even cry during red table talk um i did get a little bit like choked up but um so I do feel a sense of loyalty to all my listeners because, um, I feel like you guys have been here through it all and it seemed to have just come tumbling down all at the same time. Um, but I know that there is light at the end of the tunnel because I'm here still and I am here and I'm sober and I'm just feeling the feels though it is scary, It I mean, like, honestly, guys, I'm like crying every two seconds, and I'm definitely not that girl who cries ever. And I used to take pride in it, but maybe it's because I am really trying to let it all in and let it all out and not push it uh, down because that's how I was taught as a little girl. And I remember crying going back to me being, um, me testifying against this man. I remember crying, um, there, uh, but I don't remember crying since then. And I think I was nine years old when I was testifying against him. Um, but it makes a lot of sense as to why, um, this pattern of men in my life have been very toxic in my life. Right. So it has really been, um, it's been because of this trauma bond, you know, meaning like trauma bond again, it's like, I'm, trying to find that person that in a way not necessarily grooms me, but that also fits the mold of the way I was raised as far as um, like a man, what a man means to me in my life. Um, I mentioned in the interview as well with um, over at Red Table Talk that nice guys, and I mentioned it, I believe the last episode with PETA, that I am turned off by nice guys. Um, or I was turned off by nice guys. Cause I'm definitely, I, I do know that I'm working through it and it's not just a um, recent, this whole thing about being turned off by nice guys that really bothered me, um, earlier on in my life. So that is something that I am definitely working on. Um, what helps me, I guess, is just to know that, oh, okay. I'm just following that pattern, right? That's why grooming at that age, like starting at five years old up until, eight, nine is, these are the most vital years of your life, right? As a kid. And, um, that's when, you know, you, for me, at least that's, I, I just remember observing so much. Um, and I remember turning into whatever I observed, meaning like I literally turned into Julia Roberts, Pretty Woman, because that was a movie that was being played in my home because my other nanny, my live-in nanny, who was Filipina, um, she she'd only spoke Tagalog and only watched, Freaking pretty woman constantly on VHS tape. And I saw also footage of me as a little girl in the mirror saying to myself, Am I pretty? Are you pretty? Like it was, (laughs) it was just not the best uh, movie to be seeing at that age. Um, There was also Dynasty, that old soap, uh, that old soap, I guess, television show that was on. Um, And then I watched Sound of Music, which was definitely more age appropriate. But anyway. I just know how vital those years are in someone's life, especially mine. And I started becoming a chameleon in a way I had no identity. Um, and it was interesting because, you know, there was no one for me to talk to really about it because, um, I didn't know how to, I always was known to be this really shy girl. Um, my mom actually thought I was deaf when I was really young. She took me to a hearing specialist. This was like, I think during or right, before, right after I testified and the ear doctor was saying that I actually, it's not that I actually have uh, problems with my hearing but or speech. It's the fact that I'm going through PTSD and trauma. So I don't know what this will do for anyone listening right now. I just think... It is so important when I have a kid or kids, I think I'm going to try to at least have an open conversation about this. And this is why I'm such a fan of Red Table Talk because, you know, you've got different generations sitting at a table together, a family of three women who have gone through certain things that, you know, and in their in their prime or even as now it's like, you know, I'll never forget Jada was saying that the trauma bond that she has is due to the fact that she was raised in a household of addicts. And, um, you know, these conversations are just so important and so vital because it really, truly, takes the shame away um you know for me the shame when being sexually abused as a kid was the fact that i found pleasures at times with it and it makes me want to throw up right now by saying this but again you know i didn't know better and so i think i held on to this shame and guilt as a little girl like how did i like have any type of feeling like any good feeling towards this disgusting man who was honestly hurting me and I think I never voiced it until just recently. Um, But, you know, I've said this before. It truly does help to just voice it, whether that is journaling or with a friend or family member or someone you trust, because once you do that, you that the shame starts to die down and you don't have to live with with that. And that's really heavy and. You know, feeling that way for me for sure has caused so much physical pain in my body, um, which is why I'm just trying to cry it out because that's all that's all I can do at the moment. And yet, you know, I do know though that my past definitely doesn't define who I am today, but it's definitely a part of my story. And I'm not going to be a victim any longer or, and I haven't been in a long time because I am thriving in life right now. I'm just having these conversations, even if it's just one listener at the moment listening, it doesn't matter. You know, I think it is really important um, for people to hear it and to have, to make these uncomfortable conversations no longer uncomfortable.
4: Savings products insured by NCUA investment products are not insured, not obligations of Navy federal and may lose value.
0: Okay. So moving on to what else was said in this interview and discussed, um, you know, I did, I did touch a lot on my sobriety. I know the interview in general was only like 35 minutes though. I was there for four hours. Um, I could have talked to those women all day, but, um, You know, it was it was very draining. Yet it was uh, it was like a purge of emotions. Um, You know, some of these questions that I were that I was asked, I have never been asked before. Uh, I wasn't caught off guard because, like for me, I'm willing to discuss anything. It was interesting with my therapist the other day. She said, "Oh, you know, some of these stories you're saying on your podcast or in interviews that I've heard, I've never heard you talk about." And you know in a way I had to sit with it for a while because I was like, wait, why haven't I talked about it? And then I start questioning myself. Like, did this really happen? And then I start not trusting myself. And I remember this is what was happening again when I was being molested was like, wait, what if, what is he doing anything wrong? Or even with these abusive relationships, when I got physically abused, like I would question, even though there were welts on my legs, did this actually happen? You know? And, um, that's another priority for me and i believe i have done a lot of work with it is just trusting me trusting myself um forget anyone else at the moment i have to trust however i feel i have to trust what i see it's my perspective and i my intuition and i just have to trust it and that's been really interesting because i didn't realize i didn't trust myself but that's what happens when you know for me, at least when I would cover it all up, like I would go back to the man that was abusing me because I didn't really have this. Okay. What is he doing? Like I, he's abusing me. He was physically whipping me with his belt and I took him back like four or five times after that. And it just got worse and worse and worse. And yet it was so hard for me to, to be done because of that pure that reason of just trying to cover it up and thinking that that's what I deserved in a weird way, um, not knowing self about self love, not even knowing what that meant. Nor was I welcome, or nor was I welcoming that conversation at that time. Um, you know, my mom put me into therapy after I got sexually abused. I don't remember much of it. Um, and it wasn't until I moved to L.A. about a few seasons into Dancing with the Stars did I start therapy because I wanted to start therapy on my own. Um, and even that, even Anne, Dr. Anne Wexler, who was the first guest on this episode on this podcast, Burke in the Game, she was saying that I she was trying to start the conversation about all of this, yet I wasn't having it. And those were also during my drinking days. So it was like all I'm grateful for though at this moment is that I am really trying to trust Myself and not question anything. You know, I think this is why sometimes I look for outside sources for reassurance. Why sometimes I get really insecure, whether that be with work or my personal life, jealousy, reassurance on stupid things like my choreography, like never feeling like I could do anything in a way without getting the official okay from somebody. You know, all of that has to do with everything with self worth and self love. Um, it's crazy. Anyway. Okay, so another thing that I mentioned and I want to be I want to tread carefully here is uh the ballroom dance competitive world that I have been blessed and fortunate to be a part of because my parents were able to help me and support me with that. This was a passion of mine, as you guys know, and it still is in a different way. However, um the c- competition world, okay. Well, Let me just kind of paint that out for you here because there has been, it was really cut up my interview and I just want to be clear because I know that I still have family, like considered family for sure as far as people still in the competitive dance world and I don't want people to take offense at a soundbite that was cut together. Um, There was nothing wrong with the way Red Table Talk cut my interview. However, I just want to talk more in detail about it because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but I also, you know... I'm just telling my story, and I know that what I say might be shocking. However, it's my story, and it's what I experienced, and I'm no longer going to preach and not practice what I preach, so here we go. Ballroom dancing is an interesting yet beautiful world of lots of makeup, lots of fringe dresses, lots of close contact with the opposite sex um, back then for sure. And if you're going to, if you're going to pursue ballroom dancing competitively in a, I guess, as an athlete, like world-class athlete, you have to, um, take, political dance lessons you have to schmooze you it's basically like a little mini hollywood (laughs) i guess you could say where you know there's these competitions that you just go to just to be seen or you know i've mentioned blackpool here a few times which is um the competition in england um which is equivalent to the olympics and you know there as well it's like who is taking from who who is dating who it's very, uh, gossipy, but it's also, it's very competitive, right? Very much, um, a competitive sport. And though I learned so much, and even though I always say, you know, I grew up too fast, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't have it any other way. Like I think it has taught me so much about how to like little things. How to stand up tr- straight, how to dance with confidence, how to walk into a room, how to shake someone's hand. It's like certain things, right, that maybe people or women, young women in, in my age back when I was 11, 12, had no idea about. The awareness of my body is something that I'll always be grateful for because of ballroom dancing. Um I'm definitely very much aware of the feelings that come through my body and all of it, uh, more than I am putting it to language. So my feelings is what's stronger than me. Like what I'm trying to do now is articulate it into words. Um, this is what's hard for me, but this is what I've been working on with Dr. Wexler is really being able to voice it all. Anyway, I started out as a pro-am student, meaning what you see on Dancing with Stars is that we are the professional dancers, and then the celebrities are amateurs. There is that world in ballroom dancing called pro-am. So I started out in that um, genre of pro-am because I didn't have a dance partner. So my pro-am teacher, teachers, because I had multiple, um, they weren't all abusive, but there was definitely one that was. And... um, Oh, gosh... I think it's important, or I know it's important for me to voice this because it's been eating me alive. I'm such an advocate for women to um, voice, you know, voice their true feelings and to stand up for themselves. And yet there was something that I was hiding um, that I never voiced, I'm not trying to say anything other than the truth. And it's hard for me to believe that this doesn't happen a lot in the ballroom competition. However, I can only talk based off my experience. You know, he used to pick me up from school when my mom and dad, obviously they were working uh, full time, sometimes past full time um, through the night, especially my mom who just had her startup company. um, And that was just running and taking off for her. And then I had my Filipina nanny. um, And then at that time, that was when my the other nanny we had was in jail. Um, and then I started ballroom dancing, literally not being able to say no and stand up for myself. That was not something I was even thinking about. I mean, to the point where, again, he didn't hurt me physically. I wasn't raped, um, but I was being sexually abused. You know, stuff like that happens quite a lot. Um, I remember, too, this very powerful um World champion at the time, uh, older, older man, when I was 16, I remember called my hotel room. My mom was there and we were at Blackpool, that competition, and asked for me. And my mom, I remember, said something like, Don't ever call this room again. My daughter's 16 years old and he must have been in his late 40s. So, like, you know, this type of stuff happens. And yet we've been silenced, whether that be silence from the from the perpetrator or silence because we're living in shame. And again, I'm not here to change the world or anything. I'm just here to tell my story, hoping that maybe somebody who's going through it, whether that be in the ballroom industry or any industry, you know, just talk about it. Um, I'm like, sometimes I'm shocked by what just comes out of my mouth. And then again, I start to question my own trust within myself, but I, um, I'm definitely proud of myself for being courageous enough to voice it though hard as shit. I feel like I'm speaking a different language and, um, uh, yeah, I don't think, uh, yeah, I've got lots of feelings to feel at the moment. So, okay. So the bigger headline of all of this that came out of this red table talk interview was the fact that my boyfriend, on and off for about four years, which started about sophomore year in high school, um, was very physically and mentally abusive. However, first, I want to say that it started mentally abusing me and with the, with the abuse. It was mental first before it got physical, as most of the time it is like that. Um, we had a very toxic, relationship. I had no friends in high school. I definitely, uh, was dancing at the time, ballroom dancing. And I just started, like, I remember I had a partner. I had my very first dance partner. Um, and then maybe like, I think my, well, no, that's not true. My very first dance partner was when I was 13. And then I remember after a year and a half of that partnership, I moved on to another partnership and, he was from Finland and him and his um partner, his life partner, came to live with me and my family in the Bay Area and they stayed in our pool house. Um and I remember uh running to them in my pool house, uh where they were staying and just running in fear that this man that I was dating was going to kill me at one point. Um, I caught him cheating on me and I remember seeing him jump into this woman's or young woman's car and I followed them in my car pretty closely and then I went to his home and he basically had told me before I saw them that he was going to come home after his class or come to his house. And I, and I was going to meet him there. We were going to have lunch or whatever. And I, his parents, I, his mom specifically was always very nice to me. Um, she'd always like cook for me and we would always talk and stuff like that. And I just felt like I was kind of a part of their family. Um, and I remember he came back and I started questioning him as to like, why? why, where were you? You know, as if he didn't know I was following him, it was pretty obvious. You know, they were, this person was the person he was cheating on me with was driving really fast. Um, and so they eventually lost me. And so then I started questioning him and then he didn't like it. And then it just got really intense. And I ran into my car and sped off and he jumped into his car and started like bumping my car, like rear ending me to in hopes that I would pull over. I did talk to one of my friends who was in the competitive ballroom world who was actually a lot older than me. I tend to have a lot of older friends, like a lot of like older mommy figures, I guess some people would say um, in my life. Uh, and you know, the same person also helped me get on birth control, took me to Planned Parenthood for the first time. You know, there was none of these conversations happening in my house, but back to that. So this is where I was, where now I look at my life and I'm like, God, I really wish there was a show called Red Table Talk back in the day, because these conversations need to happen. They just do. And So be it if I'm that person to start these uncomfortable conversations or be a part of a movement that is starting to have these uncomfortable conversations, because I know some people are having them. However, the reaction isn't necessarily all that inviting, um, which makes it a lot scarier to have these conversations. But again, I just wish that I could turn a podcast on and listen to it and be like, oh, okay, just sigh of deep, like just breathe it out and just exhale, knowing that someone else has gone through this. Like the fact that this person, this younger woman who was probably in her thirties, I was a teenager, had to take me to Planned Parenthood, um, and get me on birth control for the first time. You know, some people don't even know that some people may not even know about Planned Parenthood, especially who knows nowadays, um, you know, with Roe v. Wade and all of that, um, may not even be accessible to some, uh, But I'm grateful for that person and that young woman who helped me and who played a huge vital role in my life. Um, Okay, this is a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's just so important. Again, like to do this alone wasn't easy. Anyway, um, look, there are red flags, right? And I believe regardless of trauma that have been that has been something that you've experienced or that I've experienced. I still knew the red flags. However, I just couldn't ask for help. I was gravitating, now that I know about trauma bonding, to what feels familiar, right? Or maybe it feels like home, which unfortunately for me wasn't the cookie cutter, you know, all beautiful roses and flowers and all of that. No, it was quite the opposite. It was quite dark. Um, And I think the key for me has been in order to like take these steps to, first of all, just to be able to tell my story without questioning if it's true or not in my eyes, Um, you know, it's just recognizing the pattern. Um, And this is why I keep saying I have to change the pattern. I have to retrain my brain because as you guys have gotten a little bit of the trauma I've dealt with, or a lot of bit, there's quite a lot, right? So I'm also not mentioning the good times and all that. Of course, there was those moments. But there was also, you know, the more and more I do this podcast, and the more and more I have guests who become who come on here and, and be vulnerable. Like, for example, Peter, I learn a lot about myself. And um, what I've learned is that there is still a lot of work for me to do and I'm not trying to be perfect, I'm not trying to be 100% healed because it is like I said earlier a lifelong journey that I'm going to be on f- until the day I die. However, I'm just recognizing this pattern of why why do I fall for men who are abusive? Um, why do I fall for men who cheat on me? Why do I attract this in my life? And, you know, if it isn't obvious enough uh, to you guys, it's because of my past trauma. It's what felt like home. You know, to me, that love equaled all of it, all of the bad, not so much the good. So moving on to this last, um, I guess, uh, topic we talked about uh, on Red Table Talk, um, I basically mentioned, you know, my marriage or now my my first marriage there hasn't been a second one yet, just in case you're just new to this podcast. Uh, But I had mentioned, you know, we talked a lot about my ex and me being married. We didn't talk about him. We talked about the situation. And I mentioned, and it was quoted in a lot of articles that are out now, I wanted to see if I could get married in a way. I wasn't thinking that, obviously, as you know, we were engaged or as I was walking down the aisle or as I was obsessively prepping for this wedding, because I truly believe that my energy literally went into rhinestoning tic-tac boxes for my guests, like to this crazy neurotic um, side of me that is definitely still there. However, there was so many red flags for me that I chose not to look at again. And red flags, not just from him, from us as a couple. I think we were both, or I can speak for myself, I just know that there there was a lot of things that were mismatched as far as certain belief systems go. And that alone, you know, I don't regret anything. However, if I were to do it again, you know, that is a red flag to pay attention to. Um, nothing, you know, he was... My marriage wasn't about or revolved around the uh, physical. There was no physical abuse. So please chill out with the headlines. However, again, I can just, again, only speak from my experience that I decided to push that aside and focus on what I needed to focus on, which is rhinestoning TikTok boxes, which is crazy, right? So I didn't want to see it. And You know, there were people in my life, I'm not going to mention who, but close people who have um, been on my journey with me for many, many years or since I was born who had asked me, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to do this? And I just right away became defensive. And I was like, don't you dare question this. If you don't want to be there, then don't be there. But I would straight up get so defensive there was no room for a conversation to be had. So... Again, it goes back to why I said, I think subconsciously, and this is what me and Dr. Wexler have said and talked about in length, I just felt no self-worth or self-love that day I said I do. Still, I didn't, no matter if I was already in therapy. You know, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of uh, weeds to act out, I guess you could say, before I was even able to have this conversation. You know, Dr. Wexler mentioned to me recently that You know, she would even just touch on a little bit of like self-love or self-worth. And I would just change the subject so fast. I was not in the right state of mind to be having any of these types of conversations, nor was I ever inviting it until just recently. And so now that I've done the intense work that I've been so curious about and wanting to do since this pandemic started, even when I was married at that time, I'm starting to see it all you know, and since my sobriety, I'm starting to see it all. And I do know though, with all of this being said and done that, like I said, during my interview with uh, Jada and Gammy, that I put myself first, you know, I'm putting myself first for the first time and everyone and their mother, sometimes I feel like asks me about the dating seen. And like, why have I not, am I going to be alone forever? You know, it hasn't even been a freaking year yet. And it's not a year is nothing. Right. So like I am taking the time that I need and trying to feel the feelings that I should have not pushed away, but forget that. Like I'm really trying to feel now. And you can tell that I'm still feeling from when I was five years old. There's a lot of work I need to do. And again, I, I just owe it to myself, you know, so, you know, these conversations, and I'm just going to keep reiterating this, it just makes, it just really makes me feel like I'm not alone. I definitely want to hear from you guys, especially since this has been the most, I think, vulnerable um, podcast show interview I've ever done, because it's just me, myself and I, so there's no reaction However, it's nice to get one sometimes. Um, So I would love to hear from you. Um, Please email me at berkinthegame at iheartradio.com or DM us on Instagram at berkinthegame. I love you guys so much. Thank you so much for all of your encouraging and beautiful words and your support and love really matters. And I do read every single thing because I'm OCD like that. And that's just who I am. So careful with your words you know, if you've got nothing nice to say, don't say it. I am here pouring my heart and soul out to you guys because I'm hoping it'll help. Love you. And until next time. Thanks for listening and coming along this journey with me. If you like what you hear, then feel free to give this podcast five stars. You can also follow along with my journey on Instagram at berkinthegame. And if you have any advice or want to write in, then email me at berkinthegame at iheartradio.com.
2: Live Nation presents Concert Week. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end.